Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to An Amber A Day, the functional nutrition podcast. I'm your host, Amber Fisher, and today I wanted to go ahead and give you guys a primer on the Mediterranean diet. Today we're going to talk about what the Mediterranean diet is, how to implement it well, what things to look out for if you have certain different health conditions that I work with, um, so how to modify the Mediterranean diet for your unique circumstances, and we're going to talk about where you might need to be careful with certain things. We're also going to talk about where you might be able to loosen things up a bit from the Mediterranean diet, so... Um, that's what we're going to get to in a second. A little update for everybody. Um, the functional PCOS root cause nutrition course. That's what I'm calling my new course that's coming out in just about maybe a month, month and a half. Um, is coming along swimmingly. So we are at this point to, um, we are done with the writing and now it is in the editing phases and also working on making like meal plans and handouts and things for it. This class is going to be like really jam packed with information. Um, the, (laughs) the rough draft was over 50 pages long, single spaced, and I'm going to be recording all of those into modules videos that you can watch. So if you have PCOS and you've been listening to me for a while and you really have wanted to maybe work with me but either couldn't afford to or one-on-one is just not, you know, the right path for you, um, or if you are just looking for a deeper perspective on not just what to do about your PCOS, because we'll definitely talk about like, hey, here's how you should, how you can eat and this will help. Um, but if you also really want to understand a little bit better, like what is happening in PCOS and what your unique situation with PCOS might be and what some of the drivers might be behind that, this is going to be a really good course for you. I feel pretty positive about the fact that I poured my heart and soul and a lot of the information that I know into this. Um, This course is going to cover all the basics. It's going to cover the different types of PCOS. It's going to cover the, um, it's going to cover like how to implement diet strategies for each of the different ones. It's going to talk about, it's going to have two phases of diet plans to kind of like walk you through. Um, It's going to be a lot about like reducing inflammation, a lot about insulin resistance. There's going to be some stuff about adrenals in there. Um, There's like going to be handouts on like labs and supplements and who they're good for and who they're not good for. So it's very comprehensive. Um, And I'm really, really excited to share it with you all. I just want to make sure it's perfect before I officially let it go. So I do have a group of um, kind of beta testers and pre-testers, and I am still taking a couple names for that. Um, These people will get the course at a significant discount, or um, in some cases, if they're coming from my PCOS group that I had before, um, we've got some stuff worked out with them. But basically, if you want to be on the list, either hear about the course as it comes out officially or to maybe potentially be a beta tester um, for me, 
you can please feel free to um, send us an email, uh, you know, respond in any way, like get a hold of us on any of the platforms. There's tons, right? Instagram is a good place to message us. Email is a good place. I'll, I'll link to all that below. And you can find out more information about it. If you're listening to this podcast at a later date, um, and it's past maybe October of 2021, this course is probably live. And so uh, I think there will probably be a link below in the show notes for you to get directly to it. But yeah, I'm really, really excited about this. Um, I know I have had a really um, interesting year. A lot of expansion has happened in my business and it's been a bit of a like learning process and like really figuring out who I am and how I want to bring information to people and what I want to say. Um, cause I have a lot to say <laughs> about a lot of different things, but just like defining out and, and chiseling down on what my message is has been really, um, it's been a learning experience. So I want to thank all of you for being here from the beginning. I always say this, but my podcast listeners are like the OGs. You know, you guys have been here for for a long time, and I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate you listening to a longer format with me because this is where I can really get things out of my head. Um, that said, I do have a little celebratory thing to mention. If you didn't see it on um, TikTok or Instagram, I did hit a big milestone. I um, I now have over a hundred thousand people following me on TikTok, getting close to 110,000 as of tonight. And we are over uh, 2,100 people on Instagram. It is, uh, both of these feel like accomplishments of almost equal measure. It's The numbers are obviously vastly different, but in my experience, I guess, it's been a lot easier to grow a following on TikTok. I think um, my my presence as a person lends itself more to that platform just because, you know, it's like, not long form videos, but, you know, 60 second videos where I can go into a little bit of depth on a subject and I can use language and, and everything to get that across. And I've always enjoyed speaking and all that. That's why I did the podcast in the first place. Um, but one of my true passions and my, my real loves is writing. And so Instagram I have loved because it's basically been a blog for me over the last year. I just started that Instagram last July and, um, I have worked on it very hard. I just, I feel like I, again, with the pouring your heart and soul into stuff, I mean, I have really put a lot of time and love into Instagram. And, um, you know, a lot of it was for me. A lot of it was to share things that I felt I wanted to share and to, and not really for any purpose of validation, but more just like to get information out there that I felt like needed to go out there. And what's been really gratifying has been watching the information that I'm sharing reach the people that really needed to hear it. Because obviously, at this point, my information reaches a lot of people who don't want to hear it or who aren't interested in it. And of course, I um, I have definitely gone through the roller coaster of um, emotions and like mental health stuff over just the changes of like having a more public presence on the internet and how mean people can be and um, having to like deal with something that I haven't dealt with in a long time in private practice, which is people kind of questioning my skills or questioning my knowledge. Um, when you've been in private practice for 
come going on seven years, like that doesn't happen that much, at least not to my face. So it's been, um, it's been a roller coaster. It really has. But I feel like as the year is sort of getting close to wrapping up again, which is crazy for me to say, uh, I just feel like I'm in such a good place with everything. Um, y'all know that I've been seeing a therapist all year to help me get through a lot of this stuff and help me process some traumas that I had sort of glazed over in the past. And, um, and it has been a really healing year for me. So I am excited to share everything that I've learned with you guys as we go along. Um, and I'm just grateful that you're here. So now that that's over, let's get into the information at hand. Cause I'm sure, I'm sure you're waiting. I know I always say that but I know you are. Uh, okay. So let's talk about the Mediterranean diet. Now, first thing to keep in mind is the Mediterranean diet is a framework. Okay. So it's, it's a style of eating. It's a lifestyle. And I know we hear this word lifestyle. It's thrown out there a lot. And it's sort of like, well, what really is a lifestyle? Isn't a lifestyle just a code word, a wellness code word for a diet? Um, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. The Mediterranean diet has pillars that don't just surround food, but they also surround community and activity. And that's what really makes it a lifestyle approach. So yes, there's a diet paradigm that um, ideally we want to stick fairly close to, but there's also ideas about movement, you know, daily gentle exercise, walking, yoga, things like that. Um, and then there's ideas about community, you know, sitting down to eat, eating around a table, taking our time to eat. These are all things that play a huge role, not just in digestion, but also in health. And we have research to back that up. So keep that in mind as we're going through. Now, obviously, I'm a nutritionist, so I am interested in talking about the food piece. And the food piece is what we have uh, the most research on. Um, you hear so much about the Mediterranean diet because it is so well studied. It does have so many um, positive studies showing benefits from following this type of diet. So um, while my work one-on-one -on -one with people is all about looking at you as an individual and finding a unique um, biochemically individualized plan for you and customized plan for you, that is not the kind of thing that is easy to get across on the internet. Um, and I have been reaching for a long time for like, how do I get across how I would like the average, the majority of people to eat um, in a way that's simple for them? Because I think a lot of times as functional nutritionists and um, people in functional medicine, we talk about eating and diet and we'll say things like, you know, eat a whole foods diet or you're unique, you're an individual and you need an individual plan. But the reality is that like the majority of the people that are coming across our information are not ever going to work with us one-on-one -on -one, or they can't for whatever reason, or it's just not a place where they're at right now. But I feel like it's been um, pressed upon me or laid upon my heart to share information for people that helps you with no financial buy-in. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. 
True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. That's not to say that anybody else that's doing things is doing things wrong. I think everybody has a valuable approach, and I love sharing information about biochemical individuality. I think that's super important because, yeah, everybody is unique. Um, But to some extent, I think sometimes we do that, and I know I've done this in the past, as like maybe a way of just kind of glazing over information that we don't want to go deeper on until we get that person one-on-one. And so to me, I thought, well, a lot of the studies have been done on Mediterranean diet. It's a good diet. It's got good pillars. It's it's a well-rounded approach. It doesn't require a lot of restriction where people might not need restriction, but yet it it's anti-inflammatory, um, which so many people need. And so let me tell people how they can do that. And that can be a good place to start. And that's really my intention with telling you about the Mediterranean diet is not to say you need to follow blindly this diet for the rest of your life because this is the anti-inflammatory diet. No, there are lots of anti-inflammatory diets. My, my genuine idea with sharing the Mediterranean diet is to say, here's an idea for a framework that you can base your life around within your own needs, and you're going to have to change things around for yourself, but within your own needs, you can base your life around this framework, and this framework can help you to have a better relationship with food and to um, to see health benefits that you wouldn't otherwise see. So that's the entire point, right? It's a framework. Okay, now that I've said that, now how do you do it, right? Because I know you're wondering. So let's start with the basics. The Mediterranean diet is like a pyramid. It's organized like a pyramid. You guys remember the old food pyramid where it was like, oh, it was really bad. Um, From the 90s, it was like grains, tons and tons of grains on the bottom. And then like, I think it was like maybe veggies and on top of that. And I can't really remember what that food pyramid looked like. By the time I got into school for nutrition, we had thrown that out and it was my plate, which I think it's still the my plate thing. But anyway, that was so warped that nobody uses it anymore. Um, However, the Mediterranean diet is kind of based on a little pyramid to help you kind of for ease of use to figure out where things go. And at the base of this pyramid in the traditional Mediterranean diet, you would see things like vegetables, legumes. So these are things like, you know, your broccolis, your cauliflowers, your spinach, but then your legumes would be like black beans, um, lentils, kidney beans. So your, your, beans, and then your um, whole grains. So we're looking at whole unprocessed grains. So with oats, we're looking at steel cut oats or rolled oats. Um, you know, with the breads, we're looking at multi-grain breads. Be careful with whole wheat and whole grain breads. Uh, sometimes that's marketing and you really have to look at the bread. Um, a good rule of thumb in general is if you look at the bread and it looks grainy and really brown and there's a lot going on in it, that's probably a good whole grain bread. If it looks very smooth and white or light brown and it looks very soft and like, you know, a perfect sandwich bread that you're like, reminds you of white bread, it's probably not as good for you. So the more refined, the worse it is for your uh, body. So you want to get something that's more grainy. 
Um, there's a brand uh, that I'll mention called Dave's Killer Bread at that's at most grocery stores, and I really like that brand. Um, they are not sponsors of the podcast, but Dave's, if you're listening right now, you know, I'd be interested. Um, so those are your grains. Things like brown rice is also a grain, a whole grain. Um, and there are others, but those are the ones that I like a lot. Quinoa is another really good one. And then you've also got fruits. Um, you know, berries are great sources, but there are lots of obviously different kinds of fruits. And um, also starches are at the bottom of the pyramid here. So things like sweet potatoes and potatoes, um, carrots, butternut squash, like all that kind of stuff, and then your nuts and seeds. And a lot of your calories are going to come actually from nuts and seeds on this diet. So you're going to eat a lot of almonds and walnuts and chia seeds and sunflower seeds. You can get sunflower seed butter, sun butter. That's one of my favorite things to eat. Um, and so all that kind of stuff is the base of the pyramid. Now this isn't, keep in mind, I'm going to talk about specialized, some specialized conditions because I see you all out there with PCOS and type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance. I know you're wondering, wait a second, I thought I wasn't supposed to eat a bunch of that stuff. So I hear you. There's more coming on that in a bit. Um, same thing for those of you who are like, oh my God, fiber, uh, so much, so much veggies, like it'll destroy my stomach and I'll have diarrhea immediately. I hear you as well. And I've got some stuff coming for you too. So don't click off just yet. So that's the base of the pyramid. Then what we would have next is we start looking at our proteins. So, um, primarily proteins are going to come from fish on the Mediterranean diet. So we're looking at salmon and shrimp and all that kind of stuff. And um, as far as times or amounts per day, um, I I like to have this stuff um, every day, you know, but I think like four to five times a week for fish is a, is a good rule of thumb. You want to be careful with your higher um, predator fish like tuna. Uh, these are the fish that are more likely to have excessive amounts of maybe mercury in them. So, um, and you know, there's debate about this, but I generally say like tuna, maybe limit it to once a month just to be safe. Um, but your other kinds of fish, especially salmon is a great fish. Salmon should be a regular part of the diet. Um, and then we've got a little bit less than that. So maybe two, three times a week, we're looking at poultry, chicken, turkey, uh, that kind of thing. And, um, and dairy products as well and eggs. So we've got, when you combine them all, it's not like a vegetarian diet where you're not having protein with each meal. You can have protein with each meal, but like some meals, your protein source is uh, eggs and some meals it's chicken and some meals it's salmon. And, you know, overall the balance falls in the favor of fish and seafood. Um, however, I hear you, some of you out there, you're thinking, okay, but I don't like fish or I'm allergic to fish. So in the case that you're allergic, um, you know, let's explain why the fish is so important. So the fish in the Mediterranean diet have a lot of what are called omega-3 fatty acids. And these are fatty acids like EPA and DHA that are very good for your brain health. They're also very anti-inflammatory, and there's plenty of research to back this up. So eating good amounts of these foods, preferably from wild-caught sources where they're going to have more of those nutrients rather than farmed fish, um, is really, really good for you and very anti-inflammatory. 
Now, if you are truly allergic, um, what's going to happen is you're not eating these foods, and so you're missing out on valuable nutrients. Now, yes, you can get omega-3s from other sources. There is a component of a lot of nuts called ALA, and that eventually can break down into omega-3s in the gut. However, it is harder for your body to convert ALA to omega-3s because it requires certain gut bacteria to do that. And a lot of times in the cases of people who have chronic issues, we don't have the greatest gut health. And so we may not be doing that process as efficiently. So it's not as efficient a source of getting omega-3s as it is to get it directly from fish. So I'll be honest with you, it's a little bit more of an uphill battle. However, I definitely think it's still possible. And usually in those cases, I just recommend like a vegan um, omega-3 supplement. They make them out of algae um, and stuff like that. And and that can be a good replacement for you. And I think that's I think that's important. And definitely eating lots of nuts and seeds and um, stuff like that will help to get you more of that. Now, if you just don't like fish, um, this is a little bit more of a complicated situation because in some ways I have sympathy for that because, you know, a lot of us were, were not raised eating these kinds of things and, or maybe we don't have um, access to them as easily wherever we live. So yes, you could take a fish oil supplement and that would help. Fish oil supplements are not as good as eating the whole fish because you're obviously, you're going to get a lot of different nutrients that help with the absorption and just, there are things about whole foods that we still haven't figured out exactly what's causing what, you know, but we just know that as a whole, this food causes, um, you know, it improves health for these reasons. Whereas with a supplement, we're trying our best, but it's still artificial in some ways, you know, it's still not your body eating actual whole food fish. So uh, I do recommend taking a fish oil supplement and I'm going to link below to my favorite fish oil. But uh, I also think that if it's possible that maybe you could expand your repertoire of what you're eating to, to try. I'm not saying you have to eat it every single day. I'm not saying you have to eat it four to five times a week. But could we start with trying maybe once a week to eat some salmon? Um, a lot of people assume that they don't like certain foods because they have never liked them and they never ate them, but they haven't tried them in a while. Your taste buds change every few years and, you know, you're more grown up now. So you might find that salmon cooked well, cooked, not overcooked, you know, might actually taste pretty good to you. And you might think, hmm, this is better than I thought it was. If you can't stand that kind of fishy taste or smell, you might start with a real mild fish like cod. Cod is a great fish. Um, you know, I, I always get a lot of questions about tilapia and catfish. Those two fish are not the best sources of fish just because they're both kind of bottom feeders. And, um, and so the nutrition isn't as great, but uh, especially tilapia is very is a typically heavily farmed fish and um so it's not as great of a source but hey it's a start and if you like tilapia you know maybe you can try if you like tilapia you probably would like cod so maybe try switching things up a bit just push yourself a bit so i i have sympathy for for the taste buds issue i really do I had a lot of problems with this when I was um, in, in my early 20s. Like I, I didn't like vegetables at all and like I really, really struggled to eat them. 
but just over time consistently challenging myself to eat them and trying to try them in different ways, um, it, it helped a lot. So one thing you can do with fish if you don't like it is cover it up in a lot of different um, veggies and sauces. Like take a little bit on your fork at the same time that you're having other things that you do like the taste of, um, you know, maybe mashed potatoes or something like that. And that can really, really help you to start to enjoy the taste of that food. So that's my little challenge for you. Don't be mad, um, but just just challenge yourself. All right, so you're going to be having those, you know, every day you're going to have th- about three meals a day, right? And I would say at, at least two of them, you want to be having a whole food source of protein, preferably. For most people with chronic illness, I prefer them to have animal protein. There are a lot of reasons for that that I'm not going to get into on this podcast. I am not anti being vegetarian. I work with a lot of vegetarians. I've worked with vegans and there there are often ways around this stuff, but it is just harder um, to get the amount of the amounts and types of protein that you need on a vegan vegetarian diet when you are at the early phases of dealing with a chronic illness. It's just a little bit more difficult. Now that said, I know a lot of, um, I've heard stories of a lot of vegetarians and vegans who going plant-based completely changed their lives. Um, I think that a good balance is okay here. So one of the reasons why going plant-based tends to change people's lives is because they start eating more plants. Um, there are ways to go plant-based without giving up animal protein completely. And that that's sort of where I lean heavily with this Mediterranean diet. It's like, it's a way of really eating a plant-based diet because the base of your pyramid is all plants. And that's the majority of what you're eating every day. But you're also getting a little bit of animal protein and that can be helpful too, especially if you have insulin resistance um, or some gut health issues and things like that. So um, you're going to be having fish, you're going to be having chicken and turkey, you're going to be having eggs. And if you tolerate it, you can also have dairy products like um, hard cheeses are a great source. Greek yogurt is a good source. Uh, I will say that um, I'm going to get into some cautions later, but sometimes dairy is not the best thing depending on what you're dealing with. And then on top of that, we have sort of the things to be more limited with. So red meat is one. Um, The typical Mediterranean diet has you avoiding red meat no more than, some people say no more than once a week. Some people say no more than once a month. I fall somewhere in the middle on this. I think once a week to once every couple of weeks is probably fine to have a serving of red meat. Um, You know, there's a lot of debate about red meat. There is really a lot of debate about red meat. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I have a good grasp on how I really feel about red meat. I think everybody is really different with this one. Some people seem to tolerate red meat great. Um, I've used red meat strategically for a lot of my fertility clients and seen good results, you know, especially if they tend towards anemia. Um, On the other hand, I've seen red meat be inflammatory. I think a lot of the time with red meat, it depends where the meat is coming from. So if you're getting grass-fed, grass-finished beef um, and, you know, you're eating a lean cut of grass-fed, grass-finished beef, I think it's going to affect your body a lot different than if you're going to, excuse me, going to such and such steakhouse and eating a, you know, a ribeye with a bunch of the fat on it. The animals kind of, they store, just like humans do, they store toxic material in their fat cells and 
a lot of times the, the, the hormones that they have in their system get through into our system through the fat. So that's where a lot of the trouble comes from. But also red meat consumption is also associated with processed meat consumption, sausages and things like that. And that can also be an issue when, when it comes to inflammation. So those are things that are recommended to be limited on the Mediterranean diet. Again, with this one, biochemical individuality is key here. If you know that you do really great with a little bit of grass-fed beef, I say go for it. Um, but I think you can also think about maybe limiting that and just eating it in moderation. The other meats do tend to be safer. Where does pork fall on this list? Um, I usually put pork in the same category as red meat. Um, but again, everyone's different and some people can eat a little bit more pork than others. Again, sourcing is really key with, with any type of meat. Uh, sweets are at the top of this pyramid too. So I would say in general, because it's a great source of polyphenols, dark chocolate is a fine treat to have regularly. In fact, um, I usually include that almost daily in my own life. And so I think a couple of squares of 75, 85% dark chocolate, um, in the evening or after dinner or something like that is fine. Um, and that would be fitting with the Mediterranean diet. But if you find that you have trouble limiting yourself with this, if you have trouble moder moderating yourself, that might be a place to kind of think about setting more boundaries for yourself. Other kinds of sweets, um, even natural sweets here, so like honey, things sweetened with honey, little muffins and cakes and things like that, those are things that you're really going to want to limit. I tend to limit these things to no more than maybe once a week having a small portion, um, maybe even less than that, depending on what kind of chronic health issue we're dealing with. Sugar is very pro-inflammatory, and it kind of doesn't matter where it comes from, um, with the exception of fruit, which has a lot of other beneficial nutrients. Most things that are sweetened with sugar are, or that break down into sugar are going to be pro-inflammatory. And so we do want to avoid them. So just being careful about this stuff is, is key. It doesn't mean, you know, the good thing about the Mediterranean diet is it's not like you can never have anything. You know, there are certain diet paradigms that I've either looked at in the past or have even followed in the past that, um, are very restrictive to the point where it's like this life sentence of I'll never touch this or that again. I don't really agree with diets like that for the majority of people for the long haul. Sometimes some restriction like that is necessary at the beginning, but long-term it just doesn't work. Um, people just don't follow it. You know, they end up pendulum swinging. So I think it's much better to have a little bit here and there of something that you love and just know, hey, this is part of my diet. I can have it occasionally, but when I have it, I cannot binge on it. And um, and I'm going to limit myself as to how often I have it. And depending on your own tolerance of these things and, and your own um, ability to kind of moderate yourself will tell you how often you can, you know, indulge in these things. Another thing that is um, part of the Mediterranean diet, but usually separate from the pyramid itself is red wine. Um, often in the original Mediterranean diet, we talk about drinking red wine regularly. It's a great source of polyphenols, which are, um, if you've seen my videos on this lately, they're a good source of um, kind of food and other nutrients for your gut bacteria. This is something that I think will take us into our next section, which is where should we be careful 
uh, where should we be, be careful with all this? So uh, let's talk about wine, shall we? Because usually when I talk about the Mediterranean diet, it seems like that's the thing that people grab onto the most. They're like, oh, yes, I can have wine, you know, or, oh, yes, I can have chocolate. Um, I've done podcasts before, specifically on alcohol, and why I recommend that if you are trying to um, improve your health from a chronic condition, that you you eliminate alcohol. So you could go back and listen to those if you want to. Those podcasts always get the least number of listens because nobody ever wants to hear that advice, but it's sound advice. Um, I have seen this, uh, gosh, I don't even know, probably hundreds of times in practice now that alcohol does get in the way of gut healing for so many people. Um, It gets in the way of weight loss. It gets in the way of gut healing. It's just all around. It can be inflammatory. It can be a trigger for people with autoimmune conditions and chronic pain. Uh, I've seen it be a trigger for joint flares a lot. It maybe isn't the red wine itself, but the yeasts in the red wine or the sulfates that are used to make the red wine. I mean, the wine that we get in the U.S., um, is definitely different than wines from Europe. So some people say that they have a different experience when they drink European wines that have been imported. Honestly, I um, I still think caution is advised when it comes to alcohol consumption. The reason being that alcohol really does impact the lining of your gut, and the lining of your gut is usually so thin or... Um, inflamed during the early phases of working on chronic health issues that it's really not wise to do something that you know is going to kind of like cause a setback with it. So while red wine is a good choice for your occasional wine or alcohol consumption, like I definitely think it's the best choice out of all the alcohols, um, I still would recommend moderation with it. Now, depending on where you are in the health process, like if you're a relatively healthy person and maybe you've just got like some cholesterol issues going on or you've just got some, um, you know, some light like pre-diabetic issues or whatever, a glass of wine a couple times a week might not be a problem for you. It might actually be good for you. But where I see people running into problems is when they try to drink wine like daily um, I, I see that cause issues for a lot of people, partially because I think people don't understand what moderation really looks like with alcohol. Like a true glass of alcohol for a woman is like a four ounce pour. So I don't, you, you guys aren't watching me, but it's not very much. Um, and most of us, you know, we fill up that wine glass. So a true pour, um, would be like probably a third of the wine glass filled up. And uh, most of us are drinking a lot more than that when we're drinking wine. The other thing that happens when we drink wine is that our inhibitions get lowered. And so we end up kind of like usually eating things that we're maybe shouldn't be eating or our good sense goes out the window a little bit. Um, Here's the thing. Alcohol is permitted on the Mediterranean diet, but it's one of those things that I think we should be careful with. So I usually recommend more caution with that. Other things to be cautious of dairy consumption. And this probably goes for eggs too. Uh, It is common in my practice, at least to find sensitivities or allergies to eggs and dairy, especially when there are autoimmune conditions. I'm not saying that's across the board because it's definitely not, but I do see that more often than I see other things. So um, I'm always a little hesitant about people who eat a lot of eggs 
who eat eggs, eggs daily for breakfast or who replace a lot of proteins with eggs or people who replace a lot of proteins with dairy. Um, my vegetarian clients, a lot of times this is where I see issues, if they, especially if they're, you know, uh, lacto-ovo vegetarians and they're still eating dairy and they're still eating eggs. Um, I do often see that if they're, if they're still dealing with gut health issues, that since these are the most common proteins that they're taking in, that those tend to be where they develop sensitivities. Um, but I see it in a lot of people just because dairy and eggs are so ubiquitous in our diet. They're just kind of everywhere and we're usually eating a lot of them. So I recommend a bit of caution here. Um, I, as a general rule, don't like to use dairy as a, as an animal protein replacement unless I'm working with somebody who is truly vegetarian. If you are a meat eater, I recommend eating fish or even maybe some chicken for your protein with a meal rather than dairy. It's just a more complete source and it's a little bit, um, easier to absorb and um, easier to digest and uh, generally just tends to be a better choice. So when it comes to the Mediterranean diet and dairy, I tend to kind of use dairy as like a little, it's a little jazz for your food. So, you know, sprinkle of Parmesan on your pasta or whatever, you know, it's not like you're eating a whole meal and it's just Greek yogurt and granola. Like that would probably not be the best thing in the world to do, um, unless you really have great blood sugar numbers and like your insulin resistance is just totally under control, that's probably not going to be enough protein for you. So I just recommend being a little bit cautious with dairy. And if you do have an autoimmune condition, you might want to think about, um, either working with somebody to figure out if you might have a sensitivity to dairy, um, or, you know, getting tested for that or, or what have you. Um, Starches and fruits. So in the general Mediterranean diet, those are placed on the pyramid at the bottom, at the base of the pyramid. So they're supposed to be like most of your calories are coming from like veggies and starches and fruits and beans. And it's all kind of on the same same plane. Um, starches like potatoes and sweet potatoes and then um, fruits – Sometimes we do have to limit these in certain issues. So if the person is dealing with um, any kind of like overgrowth issue, like candida overgrowth or maybe even SIBO, we might have to limit some things here. Um, if the person is insulin resistant or has PCOS, I usually have to limit starches and fruit a bit. Now I'll tell you, I am not anti-starch and fruit. I think they're important parts of the diet. And so I usually keep them in, but the portion sizing um, is really key when we have insulin resistance of any kind. So usually in a meal, if I'm like for someone with PCOS, if I'm making dinner and, uh, and there's going to be, you know, there's spinach and there's broccoli and there's all these veggies and there's some nuts and seeds and it's just a smorgasbord of stuff. When I want to add maybe some sweet potato, um, I'll add the sweet potato, but I'm going to add maybe um, a fourth of a cup, a half of a cup, you know, just depending on their unique tolerance of, um, of starches. So that is really going to be key. Same thing with fruits, like fruits are great, but if you're eating tons and tons of fruit all day, like if you're just snacking on fruit by itself, um, then, you know, you could be spiking your blood sugar too much. 
So I recommend being a little bit cautious and just sticking more to the low glycemic fruit. So lots of berries and things like that. Um, and then when you do have fruits and starches, I recommend making sure that you're having them with a source of protein, fat. Um, so a good thing to do with fruit is to have it with nuts and seeds. I like to combine those two things and make them snacks. And that's one of my favorite things to tell clients to do. It's just like, hey, you're going to have some apple, like put a little bit of sun butter on it or put some almond butter on it. And then you get, you get more bang for your buck. Like, you know, you got two things there that are really good for you. I think I notice a lot of people struggle with the Mediterranean diet, mostly because it requires you to think outside the box and to add more variety to your meals. Most of us are used to doing like We've got our grain, we've got our meat, and we've got our fat, and maybe we have a little bit of veggies, right? But the Mediterranean diet says, no, don't just do all that. Also add in nuts and also add in seeds and also like make sure that you're eating the rainbow. Um, I think it's really, really important that we vary up the colors of the foods that we're eating, that we eat large portions of our vegetables and our foods that have a lot of fiber, but that we also really make a point to say like, hey, today I had the color uh, green and blue. Like tomorrow I'm going to have red and yellow, you know, just like I'm mixing it up because each of those colors represents different nutrients that that food has that do different things in your body. Isn't that cool? I'm going to do another podcast at some point about eating the rainbow, but it's it's so cool because the colors actually are like little guide guideposts of nutrients. Um, so when you're out shopping, you can just say like, hey, I just, you know, this is something that's red and this is something that's green and this is something that's yellow. And you're getting all kinds of different nutrients by doing that. And that's where I think the Mediterranean diet really shines is it gets you outside of the box. It gets you thinking differently. It gets you looking more at um, at your plant-based sources of nutrition. And honestly, that's where Americans are lacking usually. We just don't eat enough plant foods. And, you know, as much as we all hem and haw about it and we don't like to do it and we try to find these diets like, you know, extreme keto or even carnivore where we don't have to eat those things, unfortunately, it is pretty well established that it's important for human health that we have a lot of variety and that we eat a lot of fiber. I know I get comments sometimes of people like, fiber is really bad for IBS or my doctor says don't eat fiber. Unless it's the case of a serious digestive condition, so like a flared up person with ulcerative colitis or Crohn's or irritable bowel disease or something like that, there are very few circumstances where a low fiber diet is actually helping the situation. Now, low fiber diets might reduce your symptoms. But that's a different thing than actually helping the situation. Um, I think I've done a podcast on this before, and I may do one again. But truthfully, fiber is so important. Um, it is the food for our bacteria. When we eat fibrous foods and we get gas and we get bloating and we get diarrhea and we can't tolerate them, it's usually a sign that we need them. And it just means that we have a breakdown in the chain of processing. We just don't have all the bacteria we need to break them down. Now, how can we build that bacteria? Do we build them by cutting back on the foods that cause the problems in the first place? No, we actually build them by continuing to slowly and carefully, and sometimes with the help of a practitioner, add those foods back into our diet until we build up the right colonies of bacteria. That's really the approach. So it's hard though, sometimes when you're 
on your own to figure out, am I really like sensitive to this food? Like, do I have like a true food allergy or sensitivity to this? Or is it just an enzyme issue where I just don't have the bacteria I need to break it down or I don't make enough, you know, whatever enzyme? Um, you know, what is it going on? Why am I not digesting this food? That's where a professional's help can come in to help you figure out, you know, the way forward. But if you've been, if you have IBS or something, you've been stuck on like a low FODMAP diet forever. And anytime you try to eat a FODMAP, your stomach bloats up. It's not, it's not a sign that you shouldn't eat FODMAPs. It's a sign that actually your body probably needs FODMAPs. You just um, don't have the bacteria to break them down yet because, you know, partially because they got washed out in the first place, but then also avoiding the FODMAPs for so long has cut off the food source for the bacteria that would have eaten them. So it's a process. I know I'm not trying to be insensitive. I just, um, I get a little bit frustrated at that, like very, um, if then thinking like this in my head, I, I try to go a little bit deeper and look more at the root of, of this. You're not born not being able to digest fibers, you know? Um, so what went wrong and why? And how can we fix that? And the beauty of nutrition is that there is so much opportunity to find healing for different things or to improve different health conditions. If we just take the time to know where the problem is coming from and to find its root and we can address its root, then we can see so much beneficial change. Um, I've seen it over and over. I'm very comfortable saying that that's a real thing. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a process and, um, we can get to some places on our own. Sometimes we need more help and that's okay too. There's probably a great practitioner in your area who does functional nutrition. Um, yeah. So other things to think about with Mediterranean diet. I do have a little section here where I wanted to talk about places where we can relax a little bit. Um, when it comes to meat consumption, this is somewhere where I think we can probably relax a bit. There are some like game meats like rabbit, um, uh, lamb, uh, gosh, what else? Venison. These are things that aren't really usually listed in lists of like, hey, things you can eat on the Mediterranean diet. And I think usually get roped in with... Um, roped in with red meat. But I actually think that some of these things are pretty good for us, have different sources of nutrients. And um, also, especially if they're wild caught, are probably good sources of protein. So I don't worry as much about those things. I kind of include them, you know, here and there. I think variety is really the key uh, when it comes to reducing inflammation and when it comes to having a good um, balanced diet approach. Lamb is a really good source of zinc. So I actually really love lamb. It's a good source of iron and a good source of zinc. So I usually recommend that people keep lamb in their diet. I just I think it's a great meat and I love the way it tastes anyway. Um, so that, and then I also think people can, you know, calm down a bit about whole grains. <laughs> I could probably do another podcast about how my views on whole grains have changed over time. I used to be very, um, very into like the paleo kind of scene and kind of recommending people go grain free because I felt like, I wanted to be careful with grains because I, I just, you know, felt like they were inflammatory. And the longer that I've done this work, the more I've realized that good whole sources of grains, if the person doesn't have, um, you know, gluten intolerance and if the person is um, otherwise healthy enough to tolerate them, can actually be really helpful and can be a really nice change of pace for people and help people stick 
with lifestyle changes. Grain-free diets, I think, are, are some of the hardest diets to do just because they take away so many of your options. I mean, yes, now we have chickpea pasta and we have lentil pasta and we have all these things that can be replacements, but there's really no good replacement for, um, you know, a good piece of just like rustic bread. Like there's no replacement for that. Um, gluten-free bread just doesn't cut it. And not only that, but gluten-free bread is pretty starchy and it doesn't usually have a lot of fiber in it and it's not always the best choice. So uh, I recommend a bit more just like moderation and chill when it comes to the grains. Um, Now, just careful about portion sizing. That's really the biggest thing. You have to find your unique tolerance to portion sizes of starches and grains. So with that said, I want to remind you guys that Um, If you hadn't been following me for a while, I was wearing a continuous glucose monitor that I got um, as a a little, um, I don't know what you would call it, an exchange with a company called NutriSense. And I'm going to link below to their website. But you can wear these little monitors and they stay in your arm for a couple of weeks. You can eat your diet, you can try this Mediterranean diet, and you can see how your blood sugar responds to different things. So let's say, hey, we're going to test out eating oatmeal by itself. I did this test. Eat oatmeal by itself, and then in another uh, another day, eat oatmeal with some protein powder in it and see the differences. And by the way, that's a good little trick to put protein powder in your oatmeal. Um, I wore the... I wore a continuous glucose monitor for a month straight and just recorded everything. And it was so illuminating for me. It was probably the best thing I've ever done because I really realized how volatile my blood sugar can be from certain things that I thought I was doing that were healthy certain times of day when I'm eating. I mean, it's, it was amazing. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to be doing a podcast where I talk with one of the dietitians who helped me through that process. So stay tuned for that. But If you ever want to do this on yourself, it's a great way to figure out how you tolerate grains and how you tolerate beans, how you tolerate starches, and all these things that we often have so much fear or we tiptoe around about because we just don't know how we take them. And you hear things from all corners of the spectrum about like, these are terrible for you, these are great for you, and you just don't know. Wear a continuous glucose monitor, it will tell you. Um... Yeah, it was life-changing. I do have an affiliate code with them, so I get a little kickback if you buy one through them, but also it doesn't cost you extra. They actually will give you a $25 discount if you use the code AMBER25 at checkout, so I'm going to link to that below, and if you guys want to do it, hey, I'm telling you what, I'm not lying here. I'm not being salesy or whatever. The only reason I agreed to do that with them is because I <laughs> I genuinely wanted, have wanted, always wanted to try one of these and it was so worth it. It was one of the best things I ever did. Um, also a little depressing sometimes, but you know, it was good to see some stuff and I learned a lot. I made some changes um, that we'll talk about another time. I hope this podcast has helped you get a better idea of what to do uh, with a Mediterranean diet. I'm always interested in hearing your questions There's a link below to questions you can ask the podcast. Please keep reaching out with your questions. Um, I I like getting them and they give me ideas for podcasts and things. Um, If you want to know more about the Mediterranean diet and you want to see some of this stuff written down, I have been doing a series on Instagram. So follow me there at Amber Fisher Nutritionist. And um, there's a lot about there, about Mediterranean diet on there. I'm also sharing some stuff on Facebook, but I'm not as active there. All right. That is all I have for you guys today. Have a really good week. Thank you for listening. Talk soon. Bye.
If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.